whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us uh, and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves and that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. The second reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 15. On the small print Bibles, that's on page 840, and in the large, it's 1870. The blood of Christ. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of his creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean Sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died, as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. This is the word of the Lord. Well, very good morning to you. I'm Stuart Holman. If I haven't met you before, I'm uh, one of the pastors from St Andrews Roseville, and it's a great pleasure to be with you here today. Thanks for letting us kind of join in and become part of your family. Um, some of you we know a little, others uh, not at all. But the great thing is that we're brothers and sisters in Christ together. We've got so much in common. And uh, the pleasure of sharing fellowship this Sunday is, uh, is mine as well with you. So thanks. Let's pray. And uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time in God's word together. 
God, our Father, please grant us your Holy Spirit's help that as we sit under your word, you would speak to each one of us in our hearts, in our minds. Uh, give us uh, a greater understanding of you and your love for us and your work through us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to be looking at that passage in, in Joshua chapter 24. So um, uh, if you've got that open in front of you, that'll probably be really helpful. St. Peter's is in a time of transition. You've said farewell to Steve Layson, and he's going to be commissioned uh, this Wednesday, as we've heard. Um, and you're kind of figuring out, what are we going to do next? What happens now? Uh, and that's an uncertain feeling. Uh, I know what that's like because we've just done the same thing at Roseville. The new guy looks like he's turning out pretty well. <laughs> so what about for you? What's the future of your church that you love so much? This community of Christian people that you've invested yourself in, some for, for many, many years. This, this gathering on Sunday, it, it's a it's a part of your life now. And for some, that leaves us with a feeling of kind of vulnerability. Um, we're kind of a bit fragile. We, we, we know that we're not personally under threat, right? But it's, this is something we value. And we're not certain what will take place. What's next? We, no one knows, actually. Uh, except whatever it is, it's going to mean change of some kind. Change. And that's okay. Transitions can be good. They can be for the better. The big thing, of course, is how do we handle the change? How do we do that? As we look at the Bible, we see God's people going through all kinds of transitions. Some of them go well and they're for the better. And some, not so much. Not so good. Some transitions are carefully planned and carefully executed. And others turn up as a surprise. And the particular transition of leadership that we're looking at in the Bible today, in the book of Joshua, is a transition that was planned and it was expected. And for many, I think it would have been a transition that was highly anticipated. They were looking forward to it. It would have been welcomed because it meant that Israel had moved away from being on a war footing and now they were at peace. See, this book of Joshua, for the most part, if you've read the whole thing through, it's a book of wars. It's a book of conquest, of taking on the land. And Joshua, he's the great military leader who leads Israel through this process. And so at the end of this time, at the end of the book, now there is a time for a new governance, uh, a new leadership that would actually mean now... All of the blessings of the promised land are at hand. They're ready to be enjoyed. And so in these final two chapters of Joshua, Israel enters into a leadership transition. That was always going to happen. That transition of leadership, that's the end of Joshua's rule. It's the beginning of living directly under God's rule expressed in the law and the commandments. So, by way, you know the story, right? You know, the people of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years under Moses' leadership. They came out of Egypt, right? The great Exodus, first you know, across the Red Sea to Mount Sinai, where they received 
the law from God himself under Moses. Then they crossed the desert toward the promised land of Canaan. That journey could have taken six months to do. Except they get to the front doorstep of the promised land and they decide, you know what, that looks a bit hard. I don't think we're going to do that. And God, of course, consigns them to wander through the desert then for another 40 years. After Moses' death, it's Joshua who leads them across the Jordan River into the promised land and they begin that process of taking over the land that God had promised to Abraham, Israel's great ancestor. And so that book of battles in Joshua follows and they carve up the land and they say, okay, you can have that bit and you can have this bit. And so at the end of this book of Joshua, the job is pretty much done. So if you flip back to Joshua 23, just the very first verse there, listen to the setting to our passage today. The setting is, After a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, he's 110 I think, he summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges and officials, and he said to them, I'm very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I've allotted as an inheritance for all your tribes all the land of the nations that remain. Skipping down to verse 14. Now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. He's about to die. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. So as peace breaks out, Joshua knows he's getting old. It's time to pass on the baton. So what does he do? He has a plan. Joshua has a clear plan for the transition of leadership. And that plan is what unfolds in Joshua chapter 24. And I think it would be really worth our while to have a bit of a look at Joshua's plan for the transition of leadership. Uh, in a little more detail, the first part of his plan was to gather Israel together and to talk directly about what is happening. So if you skip over to chapter 24 uh, in your Bibles, verse 1 of that chapter, Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges and officials of Israel and they presented themselves before God. So this transition of leadership drawing near to the end of Joshua's time at the helm of Israel, the leadership are gathered together. They meet together. But do you notice the big thing there? They're not merely meeting together with Joshua. They are called together in the presence of God in verse 1. For Joshua, a transition of leadership is not something that just kind of happens. It's something to be intentionally addressed. It's to be discussed. It's to be considered in the presence of God. As St. Peter's considers its next steps, you do so in fellowship with God, in his presence, with him in your midst, aware of your stewardship of his good gifts. By his spirit, God is with us here today. He's here. And when your leaders meet and when they gather, when the parish meetings are called, whatever it is that will take place, the Lord is with you. He's in your midst. You meet with him. Good thing to remember, isn't it? The next step in Joshua's plan is to say, Israel, remember God's faithfulness 
to you. So verse 2 of chapter 24, Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor lived beyond the Euphrates River and they worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. And then what happens, we won't read it all. Joshua then retells the story of God's faithfulness to his promises and his faithfulness to his people. So all that section down to verse 13, that's what's going on. Everything that God has promised to Abraham has finally come to pass. Abraham's offspring are now a nation. And they're a nation with their own land. Everything that God promised Moses has come to pass. Against all odds, the peoples who are resident in the promised land, they've been dispossessed. Their cities have fallen. Their defences have failed. They have been overcome and dispossessed. Not by Israel's strength. Not by Israel's skill. But by God's power. And so retelling the story of God's faithfulness concludes there in verse 13. Uh, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. How good is that? You didn't even have to build the thing. You didn't even have to plant it. And you get to enjoy all of it. So at this time of transition, Joshua gathers the people and he reminds them of God's faithfulness. Everything will happen going forward predicated on the faithfulness of God. Let me ask you this. Has God been faithful to St. Peter's? Yeah. I see nods. Yes. Okay, there's, there's challenges. There are uncertainties. No one knows exactly what's going to happen next. But when we stop and reflect, we remember God is absolutely faithful. He's never let us down. His promises are sure, no matter what. We can take heart. We do not need to fear. Joshua's reminder of God's faithfulness was actually the the preamble to a call to Israel, now renew your covenant commitment to God. You're to give yourself again entirely to the Lord. So now I'm at verse 14. Joshua continues his speech. He says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. So this plan for the transition of leadership in Israel hinges on a pretty simple question. Who are you going to serve? Will you serve the Lord God or will you serve someone or something else? Ultimately, Joshua actually wants wants everyone to renew their commitment to God in the form of this covenant relationship renewal ceremony. You know a covenant, right? It's It's a publicly committed relationship of mutual trust. In our world, in our society, the best picture we get of that is marriage. 
right? When two people come forward to be married, they promise to act toward each other in absolute faithfulness. They say, we will forsake all others and only be committed to one another. We will be loyal absolutely. And just like in a marriage, a covenant relationship is not one that you enter into lightly. You can't say yes, wake up the next morning and go, oh, no, I don't think so. You can't do that without cost. Do you notice that warning? So in verse 19 and following, there's a warning here. Joshua says to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he'll turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you, even after he's been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. You don't walk away from a covenant with God without him bringing disaster upon you. Why? Because he's holy. His love is so strong for you that he will not tolerate any other rivals. He won't tolerate half-heartedness. God doesn't have that kind of wishy-washy sentimental love for his people. It's a jealous love. Jealous in a good way, I mean. Like a wife who will not tolerate a wayward husband. Like a husband who will do anything to protect his wife from the advances of another man. God's love for us is strong. It's good. It's like that. And so as St. Peter's walks through this transition of leadership, know that you are loved by God and know that absolute commitment to him is primary. You see verse 21, I love this kind of determination. No, we will serve the Lord, is what the people say. In the same way, the critical question for us is whether we will be true to God. I'm not imagining for a minute that there is any risk that St. Peter's will all run off and serve Baal. All the gods of the Amorites, uh, or Buddha or Allah or any other divinity you want to name. The subtlety is... In this transition time, whether you will put Jesus first and his kingdom. All sorts of questions are up in the air, all kinds of possibilities, challenges or options. They're not the first order questions. We are to focus on God and on a loyalty to his purposes and to him before our own circumstances. That's what Joshua wanted for Israel. Despite Joshua's protestations, in a sense, that people say, no, no, we want to sign up to the Lord and we will renew our covenant. So there's already this is like the renewal of wedding vows ceremony. That's what's going to take place here as this uh, symbolic act to affirm uh, Israel's commitment. So I'm at verse 22 now. The people have just protested, no, we will serve the Lord. Then, Joshua said, verse 22, you are witnesses against yourselves that you've chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. 
On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak, near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. So there under this great oak tree at Shechem, with Joshua presiding, Israel renewed their covenant commitment to God. Under Joshua's tree, they promised to get rid of any other gods and be faithful to the Lord. Great day, isn't it? What happened next? Two chapters later, flip over into the book of Judges, Joshua dies and we read this. Judges 2 verse 11. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and they served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger. It's sad, isn't it? It's sad. Massive failure and unfaithfulness is the final result of Joshua's great challenge and covenant renewal ceremony. This was, this was a planned transition of leadership that did not go as planned. Because Israel didn't think it was important to remain faithful to God. Joshua had passed on the baton and two chapters later Israel dropped it. And it's tempting for us today to kind of feel a bit sad that, oh, it didn't end so well. And we kind of would then presumably go on our way through the rest of our week back home. If we did that, that would be a great mistake. It would be a great sadness. We would have missed the point of what's going on here. You see, like Israel, you too, under the Joshua tree, are being challenged. You hearing me? That's a bad joke. You're supposed to laugh at that point. For people of a certain age, that joke is so bad, you will remember this passage. In this time of leadership transition, who will you serve? Your own comforts? Your own preferences? Or instead, will you put Jesus' purposes first? I want to encourage you as a church to seek God together to ascertain his will, to courageously move forward for the sake of God's kingdom. There's an elephant in the room. The obvious question, how do we know we won't fail at this, right? What security do we have? If Joshua's great covenant renewal ceremony under the great oak tree of Shechem if that ultimately failed, what confidence can we have? Are we any different to those guys? It's a good question. There is great news for the answer to that question. You see, we are not members of Joshua's covenant or even of Moses' covenant, which Joshua was seeking to renew. If keeping covenant is up to us, we will fail because we're flawed people. But that is not the case here. We stand in a different covenant relationship to God, in the covenant that was secured by the Lord Jesus. When we read that passage from the book of Hebrews, 
the writer was reminding us that Jesus' death on the cross, that his resurrection from the dead, that his ascension to the right hand of the Father, that is what secures our standing with God now and forever. So the writer concludes there, verse 15 of Hebrews 9, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Our standing with God is secured entirely by Jesus. And it's from that position of being forgiven standing on grace that we endeavour to serve the Lord. You can't go wrong depending on Jesus. In times of transition, it's not the leadership that matters. It's the lordship. Leaders come and they go. It's kind of normal. But it is commitment, our commitment to live with Jesus as Lord that ultimately matters. That does not change. It's good to reaffirm that, but we don't need to sacrifice bulls or cows or heifers. We don't have to set up memorial stones under a large eucalyptus tree that may or may not fall over. What we need to do is we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. It is unlikely you will be tempted to serve foreign gods, but more likely we'll be tempted to serve our own interests or our own preferences or be driven by our own insecurities, and we'll put them in front of God's priorities. But standing on the grace of God, confident in his mercy, we can give ourselves afresh to him. Whenever you think and talk and chat, you know, maybe you'll have a cup of tea or you meet up at the shops, and you talk about St Peter's and what's going on as you go through this transition, can I encourage you to put Jesus first? In that conversation. When you think about the future, what matters is not leaders and leadership, it's lordship that matters. Our commitment to Jesus, how we love him, how we serve him, in big ways, in small ways, whatever is your thing. What really matters is your life of prayer, your obedience to the word of God as you read it day by day, serving, loving, sharing, living in community. Keeping on going. That's what ultimately matters. So instead of feeling anxious about change, putting Jesus first, we can look forward to his future where his lordship will be given expression in whatever we do, in our living, in our talking, in our believing, in our serving. So I want you to remember this. You too, under the Joshua tree, reaffirm your commitment to live with Jesus as Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the covenant that you have made on our behalf with our Heavenly Father. Thank you that we stand before him only by your grace. And we can be confident in your faithfulness and that going forward your will will be worked out in us and through us, for your greater glory. We pray so much that you would give us both faith and courage to serve you with all our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.